Hi, I'm Geeta Nandikotkur, Managing Editor for Asia and Middle East with Information Security Media Group. I caught up with Brandon Swafford, Chief Information Security Officer with the US-based Webster Bank to discuss the nitty-gritties involved in implementing the next generation identity and access management and the security challenges therein. Welcome, Brandon, for the ISMJ discussion. Hi, Geeta. Brandon, so most analysts say that identity and access management is not about compliance anymore. It's really about security. So now that you have plans to implement the next generation IAM, how do you think the identity and access management is evolving from being a one-off project to an ongoing initiative? Well, that's a, a, it's an interesting question. And I think that IAM has really become a more complicated situation primarily because of the cloud in that the infrastructure just doesn't quite exist the same way it used to. So now it's really all about who has access to what, from where, and how. So so identity kind of became the, the perimeter you have to care about. And so from my perspective, the ongoing initiative component really is, is as you kind of build out new capabilities, both on-premise and in the cloud, you have to start to focus on how do I continuously monitor who has access to the new technology, new applications and new services, and am I enforcing least privilege and least access correctly? Because the, the infrastructure and applications come and go pretty frequently, whereas when you think about on-prem architecture, it takes much more time and effort to change. So the rate at which you have to manage the permissions and the access was just, was just a lot slower in the past. But as you said, most practitioners also believe that IAM is a complex deployment, and more complicated than the core banking itself in most cases. What do you think are the ways to make it simpler given that the new trends with cloud virtualization, DevOps, DevSecOps and others are getting in? Sure. So I think the, the thing you have to start to consider is what's the best tool for the job? So if you're building out cloud infrastructure and you have to manage permissions, using the, the cloud provider's IIM platform is probably your best bet thinking things like Amazon Directory, Azure AD, but then you have a variety of other tools that are coming available to essentially help you manage those credentials or your keys, things like, like Onion ID or HashiCorp Vault. When you think back to on-prem, you really have to then think, well, what's my, what's my central repository for managing this technology? And that's where kind of the, the movement to these centralized management systems that are working both on-premise and in the cloud, I think are really starting to come together. The other big trend that I think is probably the most important of all of them is things privilege access management. Traditional IAM functions in really three ways. You have to manage joiners, movers, and leavers. So people coming into the organization, people moving from one role to another, or people leaving the organization and you have to deprovision. When you start to think about privilege management, that's more about how do I actually manage my administrative credentials for applications and infrastructure. And I think the technology to handle that has become a lot better recently. So once you start to manage your privileges along with your kind of standard IAM platform, you really can kind of move in a more DevOps type way because essentially you can be more agile to the way that the technology releases happen and the way that the organization is using them. I think you are already, you are ready to transition to cloud and trying to implement next generation IAM, isn't it? So what are the big challenges that is in front of you now, given that so many platforms are being leveraged? Well, oddly enough, that the problem isn't necessarily technology. That's really not the biggest challenge. The biggest challenge is business process optimization and, biz and essentially business collaboration. So, you know, at a, at a bank, it's complicated because you've got a lot of different business units that somewhat operate independently. And there's some central services. My problem becomes, how do I ensure that all the application owners across the different lines of business and all the different little you know, IT managers and different business leaders are actually communicating, collaborating, 
with respect to how they're building their applications, what service, services are they using, and then how are those users being created and managed. So that didn't used to be such a problem only because they typically had to go through central IT to do a lot of those things. But now if we're, if we're consuming, say, Azure for Office 365 or some of the you know, Amazon RDS or using Salesforce, people can create and move and, cre move and create new users and new applications and move to new services. And so how do you kind of ensure that everybody's being managed well? So part of that is being able to create some way of monitoring how accounts get created and managed. And the other is just making sure that you're, you're adequately building a business process to, to sort of manage all that access creation uh, and movement. So ultimately, the, the increase in technology didn't really create a bigger technology problem. It created a, an, an organizational and process problem. Okay. So having said that, Brandon, can you explain, uh, probably elaborate on the process of this next generation IM implementation? So what are the essential steps you have taken so that you are enabling all the business functions? to do their jobs better and more securely. So I think the best way to look at that is you can't do everything all at once. There's there's some systems that you can you have to deploy all at once or not at all. And so the way you have to work with it is a combination of your on-premise, your cloud architecture and your privilege access management. And then you onboard applications uh, and infrastructure into that kind of an, as an odd needed as an as needed basis and and typically you're transitioning from something else so you have to move from your old platform to your new platform and at some point you're going to reach kind of this tipping point where you have more in the new system than you do in the old system and then you kind of have to work on decommissioning it but the the biggest change between sort of older IAM to new has to do with managing cloud accounts and cloud infrastructure, because frankly, it comes and it goes so quickly. And the amount of control that you have is is, is incredibly high compared to before. And you have to link that in with your orchestration systems, because fewer and fewer accounts that you use in the cloud actually have humans behind them. They're going to be accounts that machines use and applications and orchestration or automation tools use. So you have to be very careful about how they get created and provisioned, because because odds are no human's ever going to really log in with them. So you can't really go and ask a person how they're using it. You'd have to build a very different monitoring tool to know how they're being used. So what are the new ways of doing this in this modern IAM? How do you build trust without sacrificing security? Well, that kind of depends on uh, a couple of things. So one, IAM you know, people typically think about as managing the accounts, managing access, you also have to consider things like authentication. So I think some of the biggest advances, at least that we're trying to use, come with authentication. So how do I ensure that you are who you say, not necessarily who you are, who you say you are, but are you the same person that created this account? And how do I verify that? So people are typically using multi-factor authentication, which in a lot of cases would be things like a text message or a phone call or an email as a way to provide a second validation factor to, to prove you are who you are and knowing the password. But I think we're, we're kind of moving a slightly different direction. And there's a newer kind of technology that we're trying to leverage, which is called behavioral biometrics. And that's not biometrics in the, in the sense of your fingerprint or your face. Behavioral biometrics is things like how you type, how you carry your phone, and are you writing, you put it in your penny watt. Things like location, time of day, the behavior you exhibit when you're using the machine is a way that we can create you know, eight, 10, 20 factors of data to help further authenticate you. And that's, I think, where you really get in a much deeper form of trust with respect to who's using the account, which means I can automate more, which means I can create less friction for the user because they're not having to look at their phone for text messages or answer the phone or have access to another email account. 
I can do it with just by kind of looking at who they are and how they're acting, oddly enough. And, and that provides a much lower friction environment but oddly enough, a very, much, a very much higher security factor. So we have a lot more trust in that session. But now that you mentioned, uh, you mentioned about uh, using the new authentication behavior analytics and how are you managing to integrate new tools, new, new technology with legacy apps and platforms? Right? That's complicated only because the, uh, the older the system is, the less, the, less, <laughs> the less streamlined it is to integrate. But Interestingly enough, some of the newer IAM management tools, things like SailPoint and Savient, are actually working really hard to, to integrate with older tools. The other thing is, is that in a lot of cases, you may not necessarily be able to manage the, the identities with a central system, but you may be able to manage the accounts and the passwords. So what you have to do is rather than manage maybe the accounts is just vault the password. So there are a lot of password vaulting tools that essentially hold the password and then pass a, a more complicated unknown password to the application so that even if the, the account becomes compromised, that password changes every single time. And so when you start to integrate with these really older applications, you can't do it with the traditional way where I can provision accounts and deprovision accounts centrally. I just kind of have to just manage the passwords. Um, but I think that's still pretty effective. And and ultimately, you're moving a lot more forward by by just getting rid of of the built-in passwords and the low complexity. But is there a way you make security more frictionless while decreasing your exposure? Yeah, I think the, the biggest example of that is single sign-on. So I think single sign-on tools combined with strong authentication. So if you're using really good authentication tools with a good single sign-on platform, then, then a couple of things happen. One, a user gets to log into one place and they get access to multiple things. So I think that really reduces friction. But from an exposure perspective, you go from having multiple different entry points to one entry point. So if you're using a single sign-on tool and there's a variety of them out there, a user would log into one place and then they kind of move from that one entry point into all the others versus having to log into eight or 10 different tools individually. And so I think single sign-on is, is probably the best example of of really reducing your overall exposure. What strikes me is now the banking industry is leveraging blockchain to a fair extent, Brandon. So what's the potential for using blockchain technology for IAM and how does it fit into security? That's a great question, and um, and oddly enough, I I, uh, I work with a, a few different blockchain companies, and I have a few different I have two different blockchain patents. So I've I worked with this a lot, and I think blockchain is not it feels like it's a it's a gimmick for a lot of people. Everybody says they're using blockchain, and it sounds really cool, but there's a few ways you can implement it that make a lot of sense. And the way that you'd use blockchain in this case is not necessarily as a public ledger, but as a, as a private ledger. And one of the benefits of blockchain is that um, it does create a really great integrity chain of, of who did what, when, and how. And it's and it's very difficult, if not impossible, to, to compromise it or to, to fake the information. So I think blockchain, as it applies to IAM, is really going to be about how do we secure uh, an identity um, so how do I put a lot of information into, into an identity and create something unique, some unique identifier that then I can secure really, really well. And that if there's any changes made to it, I have a, a beautiful audit trail of all of those changes that's cryptographically enforced. So I think blockchain is a really great use case for IAM because it solves one of the fundamental problems of of just general integrity and audit of, of being really sure of what happened and when. And that's really relevant in the banking industry because we have to deal with things that are really complicated from a compliance and regulatory perspective. We have to answer a lot of 
complex auditing questions about access and, and who's access applications and when they did it and what they did when they were in there. And, and honestly, the logging platforms these things use may not necessarily be detailed enough. And so I think blockchain is really going to present a good opportunity to better answer the compliance and, and regulatory concerns and then ultimately create a more secure environment. So now that you are already in the process of uh, deploying this next generation I within your uh, banking system. So what's the business and security outcome you expect with this next gen I? So it's, it's really a couple of things. One, um, reduced cost, believe it or not. We did a lot of analysis as far as using the previous generation technology versus using the new generation technology. Things like cloud-based IAM through, uh, you know, Savient and SailPoint technologies like that, and then moving to behavioral biometrics and blockchain actually saves money because the technology is less expensive to implement. It's considerably more efficient, but from a security perspective, we move to a much tighter organizational model. I can create much deeper and more complex automations. So I, re I remove more and more potential for flaws and bad information input. So the security for me is really going to be about integrity and automation. In addition to that, I can actually create much more complex roles. So I can define my roles more, more uh, accurately so people have fewer accounts. So I actually reduce the amount of overall accounts I need. And then um, we actually get out of the business of using passwords. So when you use behavior biometric, it's less about what you type. It's more going to be about how you type it and how your uh, general behavior impacts the authentication component. So it's, it's gonna require fewer password changes, it's gonna require fewer complexity issues, but ultimately it means that even if passwords are lost, they're not usable. So it, it really dramatically increases the you know, security opportunity for us uh, to not have to necessarily rely on people's memories quite as much as we do today. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks for sharing your insights on ensuring secure banking and authentication with next generation IAM. It's been really good to talk to you. This is Geeta Nandikotkur from ISMG.